Uh, I was thought of the story that I remembered yesterday. <laughs> uh, it, it, it might have been at the Evergreens that I remembered. So forgive me if it's inappropriate. <laughs> this guy gets married. But before he gets married, well, he wanted to get married, obviously. He wanted to get married. He goes to, to an opera a show. And he, he so loves this, the singer in the opera. And he makes a plan to meet her afterwards. And within moments, he decides, I'm going to marry this woman. And he proposes. And a few weeks later, they're married. Then on the wedding night, he thinks, this is amazing. Her voice is unbelievable. So before they get into bed, she uh, takes out her false teeth and puts them in a glass next to her. Pops out an eye, puts that in, also in a safety receptacle. She had a glass eye. Takes unstraps the one prosthetic leg, pops it up against the wall. And his, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And then he just bursts out and says, Sing, woman, sing! There's got to be something good in there, you know. <laughs> Billy, there's got no reflection on you or Bill, <laughs> Rob Cush in your singing. Anyway. Yeah, so as I said, it's been a challenging year and a challenging, I've, even this last week felt very challenged on a number of fronts. <sighs> you ever sigh like that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, and I wonder, how many of you lead anything at all? You lead a business, you lead a family, you lead a, ch a church, or you lead a house church, connect group? Just hands up. How many leaders? You're leading something, an office. All right. So you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the, sometimes the... Um, the weight of leadership, you've got to carry it. And if you, uh, oftentimes uh, you'll encounter uh, projection because people are easy, easier for them to blame shift and project than to own their own stuff. And it's the, it's the pressure of Nathan who, has, who knows that David has done wrong and he's got to go and confront him on his Bathsheba error. How do you do that in a way that, that uh, will be received? Uh, besides his own life being at risk, but he wanted to be received, and his passion was to help David. He wasn't to try and get one over David. And he tells him the story of, uh, of the man with the little lamb and all that, but he, he takes a poor man's sheep, kills that, and saves his own. And, um, and David is incensed at the unfairness in this parable and says, uh, that man should pay for that thing. And then Nathan says, you the man. Fortunately, David had tasted of the love of God and knew his safest place in life would always be in humility and submission to God and his word. Don't shoot the postman when God speaks to you through the postman. You get a letter, receive it. Don't kill the postman, he just delivered the letter. And Nathan survived that. But I've often thought about that because that does depict something of the pressures of leadership when there's all kinds of deceptions and ref deflections to um, and uh, stuff that comes, uh, and it's been one of those times at a personal level. I think it's also a time when uh, churches around the world are experiencing uh, uh, some levels of pruning and adjustment. Um, and I think it's the, the only part of that that excites me are two things. The one is that God is faithful and he'll see us through. But the other is all pruning precedes good fruitfulness. So I want to say we're on the edge of the most fruitful season we've ever known. Next year, we're moving into our 40th year as a church here at Fountain Vineyard, 40 years in, in existence, and I believe it's going to be one of our most fruitful seasons ever. And uh, the challenges and prunings we've had have not been easy. Um, I know some of you have walked with us a long time, um, 
and, the, and you, you're sometimes overwhelmed by the number of new faces that have come, and everyone comes with a bucket of tears. Understand that? Dallas Willard says, every one of us has a bucket of tears. Uh, we, we have our own life stories that we've wept into the bucket for. And, uh, and then when we come together, we think, my word, how are we going to help this one? How's going to help that one? And it's like uh, pulling a wagon, and sometimes there's too few oxen to pull, huh? But uh, the pressure gets strong sometimes, and you've got to... Uh, and, and one of the ways that uh, adds to the pressure is when people, um, you know, don't want to own something, they say attack is the best form of defense. It's a military statement. Uh, and so they'd rather turn around and say, no, it's you. You've got it wrong. You, you, you're prejudicial or you're judgmental or whatever. And all you're trying to do is the Nathan thing, huh? Because truth sets free. Love secures and makes safe, but truth sets free. Like I always say, if, if the anesthetist comes up for the operation, he will promise you a good sleep. But you need to, to value from the sleep, so you'll need to be sure the surgeon comes. Eh? Isn't that true, Nick? <laughs> the surgeon's got to be there. Otherwise, and he, make, he better make sure the anesthetist got there before him. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to survive that little lot. I was just thinking about this, and I, I bring it now. I, I was sitting meditating and praying in my office, and I, my, I was drawn to um, a letter that I received. I was so encouraged by this letter. I actually had it laminated. I don't mind if you want to come and read it. I'll leave it in the front chair. You can come and read it. From Barry Stratum. How many of you remember Barry? And he wrote it in 2007. That's 16 years ago. He wrote this letter to me. Barry and I have a journey. It goes way, way back into the... Uh, we've known each other from... Uh, late 60s, 70s, around there, and in 79, I think, Carl, we, we led him to the Lord, and, and uh, he had lived very wild. He was, he was a wild man in so many ways. Uh, you guys know him personally. Um, and uh, he stayed with us at a time, and we, we got quite intense discipleship going in his life. Uh, he, was, he, he felt really convicted about all the dark music and stuff that he had, and he had a record-breaking time when he broke all the records, and, and just, he did whatever he could to get radical in his repentance. Uh, Barry was one of those guys, when the Lord was on him, when, I remember one, one meeting, when the Lord was on him, you, you didn't know what was to expect, he, he, he was a chandelier-swinging kind of guy, you know. I remember running one time, running across the hall and throwing himself headfirst into the wall, bouncing back and just laughing. I thought, that's a gift I'm not sure I want to receive, you know. Because <laughs> what if it switches off just at the last moment, you know. You break your head and the wall at that pace, but he survived us. It was, it was amazing. Um, and then he, our last year in Methodism, he came and worked with us. He lived with us, in, in, uh, worked with us, but lived in a house of a Forte professor. And he studied for that year theology at Forte University and served as our youth pastor in the Fort Beaufort Methodist Church. And then that unfortunately turned out to be the last year that we had in Methodism. So he left simultaneously with us and came and helped us plant this church. He was a, one of the first guys in that core group. Uh, and then this letter explains some of the things he went through and, and our role in, in walking alongside him. And I was also then reflecting on the people that have walked alongside me. Uh, Gary Parker is part of the church, Gary and, and Nina, and, and his father uh, discipled me uh, 50, 53 years ago. Uh, and here's Gary, his son now coming up. Huh? Uh, his father was, was a late teenager and I was a young a young teenager, he was, I guess he was early 20s at that time, something like that. Uh, Ami Simon, for those who, who might remember, Ami Simon. Um, and I was thinking about the so many people, uh, Colonel Mc, uh, McCullum, Eddie McCullum, in the castle in Cape Town, who knew that I was a believer, and he was a colonel, I was just a second lieutenant. He called me in to come and spend lunch times in his office so he could pour into me. 
I was so grateful for, for these people who had no obligation to do that. Their ranks were completely wrong. But he said, sit down, we've got a lunch break. Let me share some things with you about authority and how, how we as Christians understand this. And I was so grateful for those that stepped along, alongside me and walked with me in those times. So I think back over those years how God used so many of them. And here's the thing. Uh, there was a group of people uh, living in uh, what is called Macedonia, which is stretch, a country stretching from uh, north of, 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 uh, of Italy, Greece, around there, on the edge of Austria, right across eventually, uh, under the, the leadership of, of Philip II, and finally, and he only ruled for a couple of years, but began to assimilate all the tribes and ethnicities of the area, and then his son came on board, who was Alexander the Great, so you might know your history. Uh, Alexander came in as a teenager and began to take over and actually reigned when his father, uh, his father died, um, was assassinated uh, when Alexander was just 20. So then he acceded to the throne. And he himself died at 32, only for 12 years. You think about it, his name has gone down in history, uh, but it only had 12 years. There's another man whose name went down, has gone down in history amazingly, and he served publicly for three years. Think about that. It's not the amount of time it's the quality of what you do. Okay? And Alexander the Great extended the kingdom right through to the other side, uh, the top end of, of, of India. So it was a massive, right along the Himalayas, Nepal, all those places were, were, were taken. It was the biggest um, accumulated kingdom uh, in known civilization of the, of the time. But I'm telling you that because the backdrop of what I want to look at today with you, and you open your Bibles to 2, 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 7. There was a group of people from Macedonia. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, <clears throat> they, there were two particularly significant um, requests that they made. And the, this, is a, this starts in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians uh, in the context of Paul saying, um, we've been through a difficult time. Something like what we're saying today. And uh, he pleads in verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. Uh, and he makes a plea to these people in Corinth. And then verse 5, for when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. And then he talks about uh, uh, the kind of message he had to bring. He said, even I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Paul's bringing this, these things to their attention was entirely to help them do life better. And so when they received it like that, they received the benefits of his truth impartation. So Godly, verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. you what eagerness, earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. This is uh, such a, a yearning for those who, who are whistleblowers. Eh? What readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong, 
or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. For all this, we are encouraged. Uh, and then he goes on um, talking about their participation and uh, response to other leaders like Titus. Verse 15, um, his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient uh, and receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. Uh, so you, you see the first um, request was based on the come over and help us. And Paul writes about a dream in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. He writes and he says, I had this dream. And, uh, and going on to verse 9, he writes and he says, uh, in the dream, I heard these voices from Macedonia crying out to me, come over and help us. It was a cry of prayer from their side. Their life had become so harsh, so troubled, uh, so conflicted that uh, they prayed. And God transferred the prayer into, a, into a, a, a dream to speak to, to Paul. And he responded and came over. And now the result of that was such a radical salvation. Out of the extremity of need, they cried out to God. God met them and sent Paul in. They received the gospel. They received it so deeply. Watch what happens now in chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Now, this is not manipulated. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Um, and they did not, did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. That is every pastor's fantasy. Saying, Pastor, please, just take another offering. Can't we give some more? Huh? <laughs> it's, and this is what resulted for them. They, they pleaded, come and help us. God helped them with the gospel. The gospel made such an impact in transforming their lives. They, they couldn't help but give away what they'd got. Freely they received, freely they could give. And they pleaded, Paul, don't stop asking us. And Paul was thinking, because this offering was going to help in particular, as we announce our offerings, to help particularly the uh, Christians in Jerusalem, where there was, uh, this would be just prior to uh, the overthrow of the temple in Jerusalem in, by Titus in AD 70, because this was written about uh, AD 50. So this is prior to that, but already the antagonism and the persecution was harsh, and the Christians in Jerusalem were fleeing, like Jesus in Matthew 24 warned them to do. So many had, had fled and life was harsh. They'd moved away from their lands and their businesses and, and were suffering and hungry and, and embattled. And, and these Macedonians, hey, they knew their own poverty, but they felt they just couldn't stop giving. And Paul thought, yeah, I know your poverty. And you're actually worse off than the ones in Jerusalem, but I'm not going to stop you. And I just got to mention in my letter to these Christians in Corinth, you guys in Corinth, get your act together. Here's an example to follow. Hey? The, the privilege of giving. When I am asked to, to, to take a young, young or any couple through a marriage preparation, one of the early questions I would ask is, uh, let's say Ian and, and Leanne are getting married. Let's say you've come to me. You are married, eh? I'll just remind you. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so I'll say to Ian, why should she marry you? What are you giving her? I'd say to Leanne, why, why are you going to marry this guy? What are you giving him? Will his life be better off with you or without you? In what way would it be better? The point we're trying to make is that love is based on what we give, not what we get. 
It's not need-orientated. It's not self-gratification that's the factor here. It's what we can give because it is more blessed to give than to receive. We only have that in, in, in the book of Acts, post-resurrection. So it's one of the teachings Jesus gave after his resurrection in those 40, 40 days between resurrection and, uh, uh, and, and his final uh, um, ascension. There's a, a 40-day period, and he was, uh, he was wanting to speak some truths. And in that period, he spoke about the value of giving as an expression of your confidence in God, whom you'll never outgive. You'll never outgive him. One of the greatest elements of my encounter with God in the Tennessee River was I discovered I could never outgive God. And he's shown himself faithful again and again and again. I keep reminding myself of the Tennessee River encounter. Time and time again, God has used it. Uh, to remind me that it's a wonderful privilege we have to, to live like this. What, a, what an amazing thing. It's, and I say it's, it can be everybody's, every pastor's fantasy. Um, oftentimes, uh, leadership can be difficult, and we've been trying to teach people nationally how to lead by inspiration, not by obligation, and to get that right, because obligation speaks of law. The Old Testament says you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do the other. The New Testament says, Tetelestai, it is done. Finished. Isn't that the right translation, my brother, Tom? Dedalestai, it is finished. It's over. It's done. It's been done for you. You don't need to do anything to, obs- to, to obtain God's favor. He, he wants to favor you. Jeremiah 32, the chapter after the New Covenant chapter, he says, I delight to do my people good. God's greatest hobby is to bless you. Now, why make it difficult for him? Receive it. And I'll tell you what helps you to receive it the most. Receive it not as a bucket, but as a hosepipe. Receive it and pass it on. Receive it and pass it on. Huh? That's why I encourage you to live with a, a closed circle budget, that you know what your needs are. He says, I will meet all your needs and make sure that there's a, a fidelity and integrity to pass on what's beyond the circle. Let's say your circle is 10000 a month, and then one month you get extra 3000 gifts coming in or something. You know you only need 10. Give away the three. Ask, Lord, this month, where can we, where can we sow this? What do you want us to do with that? And give it away. And you'll find you'll never outgive God. It's a wonderful, wonderful adventure. Um, <clears throat> so I want, to, I want to just open this passage that goes on from here now in 2 Corinthians 8 and just give you a couple of key words that might help you unlock uh, the freedom that Paul was surprised about at the depth of the gospel's application in the life of these Macedonians. Um, and picking up in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8, he says... Um, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness, and your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace, not this demand, this grace of giving. Don't miss the opportunity, in other words. It's a a favor, it's a grace that God has empowered in your life. But you must understand here, he first illustrates that this was only activated by them first giving themselves to God. They gave themselves to God. And then it's much easier to access the grace of giving in every other respect. So we don't give in order to put some kind of down payment and some kind of manipulation on God. We're giving to say thank you. So I want to emphasize that as well. But just go on in verse 11 of that same chapter. He says, uh, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. What you, you said you were going to do, just do it. Not like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember those dudes? You know, they died in their first church meeting in Acts chapter 5, not because they gave too little, but because they lied about what they were giving. It was the lie that was the issue. not the amount they gave. They wanted to pretend. They wanted to, to make it before the eyes of man that they were more generous than they actually were. 
So uh, Paul is calling us back to a place of integrity here. Um, <clears throat> and it's based on, go back to verse 9, it's based on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Then he goes on to say, according to your means. That's a good word for us to remember. There's a, there's a, a rating of this. It's according to our means. God doesn't want us to give what we haven't got. Eh? Um, for if the, verse 12, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Uh, so that's the second. The first is it's a grace of giving. Secondly, it's according to means. Um, in fact, you can flip back to the first letter. Keep your hand there. We're going to come back. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 16, verse 1. He gives some instructions here. Now about that collection for God's people in Jerusalem. Do what I told all the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income according to his means. Saving it up so that when I come, there are no collections will have to be made. And uh, then he talks about the, uh, the application that would work out. So we see Scripture speaking and confirming Scripture here. So the grace of giving according to means, and verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 8 again. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. That's the third point I want to make here. There's an equality here. God is looking for an equal giving. It's not about some excelling it and others just pulling back and letting those uh, generous few carry on with it. There's an equality that is, that is being called for here. And I love the, the sense of that in, in the book of Acts after Pentecost. Eh? It was said of them, there was not a needy one amongst them. Eh? Wasn't that amazing? Eh? Not a needy one amongst them. Every need was met as they shared it. And that's God's jubilee principle. Because in the jubilee, uh, we affirm the fact that what God gives, he gives enough for all. It is our conviction also, even today, in the food shortages in certain places could very easily be matched and made up by the surpluses in other places if we find equitable ways to share it. There's enough food on planet Earth to provide for 8 billion plus people. Think about it. It's only our broken humanity and broken political structures that keeps us back from doing that. Eh? If we had a jubilee declaration over the globe today, every need would be met, every stomach filled. Eh? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, let's make that true in our part of the globe. That's what we're asking for. Could we live a microcosm of the global family of God? If we were managing the earth well, what would that look like? So that's the, the third thing I want to say about equality. Then going on, verse uh, chapter. let's just switch over to chapter 9, pick up a, move a little further. Chapter 9, verse 5, uh, <clears throat> verse Verse 5, 6, he says, um, he wants a, I thought initially to urge the brothers, verse 5, to, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous, generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. He was very careful not to have people giving under obligation and manipulation, but generously and freely. And he goes on, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that, let's again check with our Greek scholar, Hilasmos, is a, a Greek word from which we get our English word, hilarious. God loves an hilarious giver. When we take that offering, it should be the most jovial moment of our morning, eh? 
You think about it. Yay! And if you were Macedonian, you'd say, send the basket again, send it again. Let's find some more money here. What we should do one day, just to, to change it a bit, we ask you to bring an offering from your, your neighbor's wallet. <laughs> you pass your wallet over to each other, and you, each one gives what he, uh, or use his cell phone to snap scan a, a, a donation to whatever the purpose or call is that's being, being made. But uh, uh, equality and a cheerful giving, hey, cheerful giving. Let's go on, it says here, um, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, watch this, all things, at all times, and having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I mean, this guy's being superlative here, huh? There's a, an abundance in God that uh, it needs to be released. I don't think it's good for us as Christian people to store things up and never, uh, and they, uh, and they reflect our scarcity mentality of hoarding. How many of you found that that's been true? We've, I've been challenged about that. Sometimes we, we hoard things, and we've been challenging ourselves about that with our, our generous generosity months. So when we bring things we're not using, so we don't just hoard, huh? Bible warns us against hoarding. Hoarding can be sin. It can be expression of your fear, not of not necessarily of good stewardship, but of the fear of God's inability to provide when you're going to need it. I'd rather not have it when I need it than lean towards a fear-based living with hoarding. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? So we encourage you, anything that you're not using, give it away. Not your wife and children. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Cheerful givers, abounding, that's number five, abounding in every good work. Um, wow, Abounding. I do pray that God would make sure we always have enough oxen in front of our wagon. Huh? If the wagon is Fountain Vineyard and all the, the neediness of people, may there be enough oxen who step forward and pull. One of our members recently attended a, a, a celebration event in another church that doesn't run on the same um, culture and values that we have. It's a church that's, that is very top-down top leadership-wise and very controlling, a lot of accountability. And the pastors lean a little, a little more to being policemen than pastors, if you know what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to name the group. I'll just give you an idea. But one of the benefits of that particular group, sadly, is that the willingness to serve abounded. I said, God, if we lean into grace, could we not superabound? Could we not have a willingness for servanthood? Huh? I'll tell you this very sad thing I found out just a couple, just a couple of years ago. Uh, Colin had to fix a mess. Somebody dropped something, uh, dropped a cup or whatever it was in the, in the lounge. And she was cleaning it up and asked this one lady to help. Um, and she, she did. Colin thanked her. And that was the end of it. But the lady, within a month or so, left the church. And we couldn't get hold of her for five, six months. But eventually we decided that's not good. She was precious to us and we, we've known her. So we pushed in and went to see, see them, and uh, then she brought up this incident. She didn't think she was thanked well enough, so she left the church. I said, God, help us. What are we doing here? If we don't know how to serve, we haven't tasted the gospel yet. Who was rich and became poor for our sakes. Eh? I want to see a revival of the quest. We should have people queuing up to become elders, deacons, ministry leaders, tea makers, chair putter, outers. Is that a ministry? Whatever, serve any way you can. Sweep the junk off the floor. Help the children's ministry. Somebody just bring me yesterday out on a farm, and he was just saying, uh, 
in their church, his biggest struggle was he can't find anybody to do children's ministry. And I remembered back in, we were still in the Cotswold Scout Hall. They're on the far side of Leverki Street or Kiviki or some one of those bird streets. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and our, mother, our children's ministry was in, a, in a, like a little strong room with bars on it, you know. And if you were in the children's ministry, you were locked in. You had, you had to do your time. You know what I'm saying? And, and then we also went through a time when nobody was volunteering to do children's ministry. I said, guys, the kids are more important than you. Excuse me. And for about 10 weeks, I led the children's ministry. And the church was without preaching. They could worship and pray and mumble and stutter and do whatever they want. I didn't mind because the kids, you know, don't put a stumbling block before the kids. I want to say Shelly and her team are excelling. I love it when she's got a queue of people waiting to help. Eh? It's a marvelous thing. And that's an encouragement to you. The threat is, if you don't give her enough volunteers, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm just saying. Maybe it's a relief to some of you. I don't know. Anyway, I do believe that we need to, God wants to, because of the gospel, not because we've manipulated, like I said, that other group, they, they put a guilt trip on people who don't want to serve. And I don't want to do that. I want to see people pleading like these Macedonian Christians, give us another chance to give. Give of our time, our money, our little bit of wisdom, our vulnerability. Give that away so that others might be enriched. Eh? Listen to your story yesterday, Billy. I need to get the details of that story right there. Eh? I mean, there's so much brokenness in, in Billy's background and at such a depth of grace that you've received. Eh? That's why there's, that's why there's a, a new vista, a new door opening for you. I want to prophesy that these next two weeks you're worrying about, God's going to show himself so faithful to you. You ain't seen nothing yet. He's going to come through for you like you could never believe. He's going to come right through. And God loves it. He loves the brokenhearted. Come on, Psalm 34, 18. God is close to the brokenhearted eh? and comforts those in grief. Eh? He wants to know, oh, do you need me? Because I'll respond to that. That's why he puts it first on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge their neediness. Because he knows when we are deeply needing him. And I can't tell you, I've been in the ministry 48 years now. I need God now than I've, more than I've ever needed him before. I can't do this thing for one day longer without God. Meeting with me, nurturing me, speaking to me, encouraging me, envisioning me. Okay? Protecting me. I don't know the dangers. I've kept a list of my... Uh, near-death experiences. It's a long list like this. <laughs> Some are self-inflicted. I must have was quite wild at once upon a time. You think I'm wild now? I ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, uh, but I, God has shown himself faithful. Hey, time and again, I just know I can't, you know, be up by the grace of God, go on. So abounding in every good work. And then Wesley said this. And he said, two things I want to say. One was, if, if I die with more than 10 pounds to my name, consider me a cheater and, and a, a thief and a liar. He lived in a way that he lived on a cash basis. As it came, it met a need, and he passed on excess constantly. Wasn't that amazing? He also said this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. How's that? So you don't have a little one-hour Christian duty to do, and the rest of the time you live like the devil. That's not Christian faith. That's demonic, eh? Because that's Gnostic dualism where you say, just give God, a, separate this from my worldly life. We need to be the same, whether we're uh, dealing with a guy who picks up the, the street trash or whether we're dealing with the president, we're writing him letters and dealing with stuff there. Whatever it is we're dealing with, eh? bring it out, bring it out. I had such a good message from, uh, that I heard recently from the chief rabbi, Warren, Warren Goldstein. Such a good message. I, I actually wrote him this week and just commended him for 
the, the accuracy, because you can check the facts, say there, it was amazing, as I'm praying for Israel as well. Uh, pick up that message of Warren Goldstein, the rabbi, what a great message. Uh, so, of course, this leads to another old question about should Christians tithe? I'm not talking about tithing. I'm going I'm way beyond that. It's not much mentioned in Scripture because the generosity that the gospel inspires is way beyond any kind of legalism. So can I just say a few things about that? Some people think, I better tithe, else I'm going to be cursed. The curse is not something that God puts on you. It's something he tells us will happen as a consequence. It's not that he's made it. What you sow is what you reap. So don't blame God if you didn't sow properly. Your sowing will bring about a result. If, you, if your sowing brings about a, a destructive result, it's not, the, it's not the curse of God. It's a curse of consequences from poor sowing. That makes sense to you. God's not threatening us in the gospel. All curses have been taken away by Jesus. The Bible actually says, a curse without a cause will not settle. So if there's a curse on your life, there must be a cause for it. Now, this is cause and effect. You've sown something, now you reaped. If you sow, you're meant to get potatoes, but you sowed tomatoes, don't blame God. When you come there and you've got to now make tomato soup, it's not God's fault. It might cost you a marriage, but it's not God's fault. Uh, another thing I want to say about it, it's always intended to be gra- gratitude. Um, I've always said, gratitude is such a good motivation uh, as, a, as a reflection of a, a love relationship with God. Uh, and if... Um, <clears throat> I'll pick on Ian again, yeah. You know, you know, if he, he only stays faithful to Leanne because she has threatened to, uh, when he, if, he, if he ever is unfaithful, that's not going to be a very endearing relationship. It's going to be living with fear and connivance and contrivance. But he's faithful to her because of love and affection. Am, am I right? He's just nodding. <laughs> anyway. So you sit in the front, I tend to pick on you a bit, eh? And some of you ask me about it, what about the tithe? Can it be, can it be 3% or 5 Well, just by definition, it is 10%. But it doesn't mean if you, if you haven't got the faith, it just start at 1% or 2%. Somebody told me this week, they started their giving at 1%. They're going to trust God to grow their faith till they'll be the tithe and more. You know what I'm saying? So we're not talking about a lawyer, guys. We're talking about a godly principle that we should lean towards, if that makes sense to you. you know? um, and there's so many more things. Jesus does mention this in Matthew 23. He says, you should keep this up. Without neglecting that you keep up your mercy and, and, and justice pursuit, without neglecting the tithe, Matthew 23, 23, for example. So he, he doesn't want us to stop those things. He doesn't want us, now that we're in law, that we must stop fidelity in our marriages. He just wants to change the motivation for, for fidelity. You know what I'm saying? So think about it. The law is, uh, the gospel doesn't um, release licentiousness and antinomianism amongst us. It actually takes us into a new motivation for obedience and for faith-based living. <clears throat> it, it, it doesn't. Some people think if I tithe, I'll be blessed. Well, that's by the way. You tithe because you are blessed, and then it's lovely to, to bless people that are grateful, and God just blesses more. Uh, but it's not a down payment for future blessing. It's an appreciation of God's faithfulness in what He has already given you, uh, and, and neither. I've got a friend. He's actually sitting in, in this church today. I won't even name him. He, he says, must I bring my tithes because it's my protection money against the, the heavenly gangs. It's not protection money. <laughs> God forbid that's the worst way of looking at tithing. <laughs> the only protection we have is our faith. It's a shield of faith, Allah Ephesians 6. A shield of faith. Your faith in God and his love for you. That's, that's where it really lands. So just to say that. Um, <clears throat> and whatever you do as we wrap it up here, don't, don't do it to uh, uh, just please. Man, don't do it because of the fear of man. Uh, 
There's so much more you can say about all this, but I, there's just one verse that's resonating with me. I want to just bring it before you, and I want to pray over this. Philippians 4.19, God, well, God spoke to me out of that verse in 1975 very profoundly. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, obtained by Christ Jesus. He, he's really got it. He's got this heavenly vault with all of my resources covered right there, and from that he can supply all my needs. Jesus obtained it. He said, it's for us. You don't have to earn it. It's a free gift. I would, love to, I would love to be part of a community that takes that seriously, that my God will supply all your need and bring breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Does that make sense to anybody in the house? Eh? Yeah? So I want you to be encouraged as we draw this year towards a close. And next week, we're going to have our roundup. What a great time of testimony. I want to hear testimonies in the roundup of things God has been doing and how he's been changing lives all over the place. We, we're looking forward to seeing what, as we share together, uh, as Hebrews 11 says we should, with all these witnesses of how faith has been exercised amongst us. Jesus even said in Luke 18, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith here? Faith in God, in his love, trusting him, and, and manifest in our, in our community life together, where we help each other and we, we for each other. Uh, I hope that's helpful to you today. We're not going to drag on. I just feel like God wants to he wants us to be anchored in his desire and ability to provide for us. So, Father, we just pray, release your spirit amongst us. Help us to catch all that you're saying to us. All that you're saying, Lord. And I want to pray today for any amongst us who are afraid that if I give this away or that away, I'll be short. Lord, I, I ask you to give us the faith like you gave the Macedonians to give because we first give ourselves to you and then to give beyond what we were able even. That you come through for us. You empower us. And we pray for this Eden Life uh, funding Lord, that it would be a, a spirit-inspired thing. That the donations that come for it would be, would be from gratitude for what you have done in our brokenness. And that we'd see many hundreds and thousands in the years to come being blessed and healed and restored and delivered. All kinds of addictions and demonic interference in that place. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you do that? And Lord, would you release us to be part of the answer to this? Help us to carry your heart so well with such confidence and such peace and joy knowing that we'll never outgive you. Would you do that, Lord? Whether it's in our pocket money stage or whether it's in our uh, inheritance stage, whatever stage of life we're at, I pray across the board, Lord, you teach us to be givers because we have been given to. You've, you've given to us. And I look forward to seeing a, a whole new season open up for many, many, many of us. Amen, amen. Before we go and have that coffee that you might buy for your friend today as a result of the message, eh? <laughs> Before we do that, can I just ask, uh, which of you would really like to take on the adventure, not just of getting, because we've prayed for people, but now of, of giving? And you'd like to go to new heights and new depths and new vistas of the adventure of trusting God's love more than you've ever naturally had. Would you just, I just want to pray over you briefly. Would you stand with me?
You would like to see how faithful God could be if he said, Lord, I want to be just like those Macedonians. I want to ask you to give me opportunities to give, to, to serve, and that it would be motivated because I realize how much you have done for me. If that's you, just stand right now. We pray, Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Uh, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Don't miss the opportunity. I feel like God wants to do something so powerful. And he says, get on board. Get on board. There's a time of adventure. We are going to see uh, sowers of seeds that will bring a harvest that will lead us in. As we move into the year ahead as a community of people, it will see us bearing so much fruit. And we'll see it in our marriages, our families, our personal business. Some of you step forward with neediness in your business. You're going to see God giving you wisdom to manage that differently, give you breakthrough after breakthrough, surprises, commissions, uh, things that God's going to help you to sell your house, help you to obtain a place, and it'll, just, and it'll all be because God is showing his goodness to you. That's what he wants to do. That's, I told you, that's his hobby. Delight to do my people good. Put your hands out in front of you. As you, just, as you, as you yield yourself, it's like saying, Lord, here I am. I yield myself to you. You didn't want to stand, but you, you want to be a secret adventurer. Put your hands out in front of you anyway, wherever you're sitting. Put your hands in front of you. Let's see what the Lord's going to do. This is not about the doing it before man. This is before the Lord. Lord, I'm so excited. I'll stand amongst my friends here today. I'm so excited for what you intend over these next couple of weeks in particular as, we've, as we slowly develop a new lifestyle of excelling at giving because of grace. Not because of law or demand, or any, but because of grace. Lord, I pray, would you stir us up to increase our faith level, Lord, how you provide miracle you can turn stones into bread lord would you do miracle after miracle the macedonian miracle lord repeat that in our lives so i pray that everyone is standing with lord take away all guilt and shame from them that this is not about the eyes of man but a deeply personal adventure in their faith journey with you you will be the faithful father this is going to be the most exciting season of your life. There's someone with us today who's not married and longs for a life partner. God says that's going to be part of my deal for you. I'm preparing that partner for you already. This is a time I want you to have an expectation because God said, He says, I love what's in your heart. And I want to bring that partner to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Release faith. Release dreams and visions. Release calls like Paul heard the call from Macedonia. Come and help. Lord, release those callings to us. What are you saying to us? Where do you want us to serve? How do you want us to help? Would you do that? Lord, stir up servanthood, volunteerism, that we would have cues of people. And we can say like David said when he built the temple, stop giving. There's too much. Hold it back. I'll tell you when I need it. Oh, Lord, do that amongst us, Lord. We can have reserve volunteers for different things. Lord, break deceptions where there's deception. Some marriages could go better if people lived in more truth. Lord, we pray that in the name, and I want to pray authoritatively, in the name and authority of Jesus, that every deception affecting a marriage and the quality of intimacy and reconciliation would be broken in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit, break every deception in Jesus' name and release us to carry your heart towards one another. Do a powerful work amongst us, Lord. We want to set aside little things. We don't want to play games. Eternity rests in what we're standing for now. Eternity for many people rests in what we're standing for now. 
Jim Elliott went to South America and was killed. He and four others had just come out of college. They went to serve and they were martyred, killed by the people they came to serve. Their wives banded against them. We're going to go and do what our husbands began. And they've gone on and raised a great work for the kingdom. It was so impactful that they would give their lives in that way that many, many more people got saved than would have got saved in the traditional missionary ways. God says, with him, you can't lose. With him, you're a winner. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. I declare that over you. The promises he's spoken into your life, he is faithful to fulfill them. So now I just say, go in peace and go with the, with the love of God flooding you and say yes whenever he speaks to you. Say yes to that. Respond to him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, get out of here. Go get some coffee.